Just a reminder that we will be doing an AMAA or Q&A episode in late December for the Hans anniversary. I've had a few questions, but I definitely need more. Otherwise, I may not fill out the whole episode. (laughs) So get your questions in to ask me what you want to know about Hans, myself, history, conservation, New Zealand in general, or any other random questions that come to mind. Kia ora, g'day, and welcome to the History of Aotearoa New Zealand podcast. Episode 27, Maui and the Fishes. This podcast is supported by our amazing patrons, such as Sean, Robert, Leslie, and Kara. If you want to support Hans, go to patreon.com slash history Aotearoa. The last time we left Maui, he had brought fire to the world through means of mischief with his kuya. This time wouldn't be much different. Not long after these events, Maui was walking past the whare at night when he heard his brothers speaking of a fishing trip. The brothers were speaking in a hushed whisper, and they specifically said they didn't want to bring Maui Tikitiki Ataranga with them, which naturally angered Maui. Instead of letting his anger get the best of him and barging in on his brothers, Maui just smiled and walked on, formulating a plan for what he would do the next morning. Maui patted his fish hook lovingly. It had been made from the jawbone of his grandfather, Muriranga Whenua. It was inlaid with mother of pearl, and ornamented with tufts of dog hair, and deep magic lay beneath its polished surface. The sun had not yet lifted itself above the sea, when Maui crept from his whare and climbed into his brother's canoe. He lifted the bottom boards and slipped into the cramped space underneath. Pulling the boards over himself again, he lay down. He did not have long to wait. The eastern sky was still pink when the brothers of Maui piled their fishing lines into the waka and launched it into the breakers. Once far out at sea, once land had disappeared beyond the horizon behind them, Maui, hidden beneath his brothers' feet, heard them laughing together. We've got to get rid of Maui, the tiny one, Maui Pai said. He will still be asleep. Maui is not sleeping, said a deep voice. The brothers looked around in amazement. It sounded as though it had come from beneath the waka itself. Perhaps it's a gull, said Maui Waho. But they did not believe him. The mysterious deep voice just laughed at the brothers. And although they were disturbed, they paddled on speeding forward through the ocean. Eventually, they heard the voice laugh again, causing them to stop. This time, there was no mistake. It was Maui who was laughing at them. They pulled up the boards, and there he was, grinning at them like a goblin. Maui! they cried. We will not take you with us. You will spoil our fishing! Maui's grin widened. You will take me, he said. 
No. We will put you back now. Our waka is large enough for Maui Pai, for Maui Roto, for Maui Waho, and Maui Taha. It is too small for Maui Tikitiki Ataranga. You will take me, Maui repeated. He stretched out his arm and pointed towards the land. The brothers looked behind them, but only the blue ocean of Kiwa was to be seen. Paddle on, he commanded. No, said his brothers, laying down their paddles. Paddle on, cried Maui. The laughter had faded from his face, and his eyes were cold and hard like chips of Ponamu. The four brothers lifted their paddles and bent their backs. They were weary when he gave the word to stop. Let out your lines, he said, and we shall see what the fishing ground of my choice will yield. They baited their hooks in silence and let them down into the water. Soon, the lines jerked in their hands, and before long, the bottom boards were covered with fish. That will do, I think, said the eldest brother. This has been good fishing. Now it is done. Maui breathed on his fish hook and admired it as it caught the light. You have done your work, my brothers, he said softly. Mine has not yet begun. No, no, they cried at once. We have enough for you as well as ourselves, Maui. Let us go home to our wives and children now. Ah, my brothers, you have not seen the fishing of Maui. Only once shall I let out my line. Give me some bait. They would not give him any, for they feared what their brother might do. So instead, Maui clenched his fist and struck his nose so violently that it bled. He smeared the blood on the hook and lowered it over the side of the waka. Meters of line passed between his fingers. The flax cord stretched far into the depths. Eventually, Maui felt the hook had touched something. He breathed softly while his brothers looked on in silence. He tugged gently at the cord, and far below, the hook caught fast. In the silent home of Tangaroa, Maui's hook had caught in the doorway of the house of Tanganui, the son of the sea god. Maui took the strain on his line. He set his feet against the side of the waka, and putting forth his strength, he hauled. Tanganui's house groaned. It lifted a little, settled back, and then as the quivering cord strained upwards, it left the bottom of the sea, and with it came a great piece of land. Maui chanted the song that makes heavy weights light. His brothers drove their paddles deep into the water. Maui's voice rose higher, and his muscles stood out on his arms like the roots of a tree. The cord sang with a high, head-piercing note. There was a deep-throated cry from the brothers as the tikotiko of Tonganui's house rose slowly above the sea, followed by the sides and the doorway which the magic hook had caught on. And then came the land underneath, like a shining fish whose tail stretched far out of sight. Once Te'ika Amawi was out of the water, it ceased its struggle and lay there calmly in front of the brothers and their waka. Remain here, said Maui to his brothers. Make no sound. The sea god is angry, and I must make peace with him. 
Then, we will divide the land between us. Using his magic hook, Maui jumped onto the sea and generated a wave to ride back all the way to Hawaii, passing out of sight with long, swinging strikes. Smooth, bright, and shining was the world that Maui had pulled from beneath the sea. On its broad surface were houses, with fires sending columns of smoke into the still air. Birds were singing, and streams were chattering down its sides. This piece belongs to me, shouted Maui Taha. No, it is mine, called Maui Waho. Well then, I shall take this, said Maui Pai. The fish felt their running feet and the strokes of their weapons. It was but sleeping on the surface of the ocean. It tossed on the water and its smooth surface was ruffled. That is why the great fish of Maui has been broken into mountain and valley and rough and rocky coastlines. If they had left it alone, it would be smooth to this very day. It happened long ago, this fishing of Maui. Teika'a Maui, they called it. The great fish of Maui. This northern island of Aotearoa. Even the hook is here. It stretches out in the curved coastline of Hawke's Bay, with the southern island being the waka of the brothers. This land that Maui had pulled up wasn't empty or uninhabited. For example, one being, called Tunaroa, lived in a swamp on the back of the fish. Maui lived for a while on this great island with his wife Hina. Every day, Hina went down to the swamp to fill her calabash with water. One morning, as she bent over to dip into the water, there was a swirl in the pool, and a long, writhing body shot up over the surface. It was Tunaroa. The water dripped from him as he raised his head high in the air. Hina drew back and turned to run, but she was too late. Tuna's head darted forward and struck her between the shoulders so that she fell forward on her face. Tuna slipped out of the water and wrapped his slimy coils around her. Then he slid back into the water again, leaving Hina behind. Hina said nothing of this to her husband. The next day, she watched carefully as she lowered the calabash. Again, she saw something swimming up through the still, dark water. She dropped her calabash and ran, but her foot struck a stone and she fell. In an instant, Tuna's damp body slid over her. This time, Hina told her husband. Maui was, naturally, angry at Tunaroa. He went into the forest and cast spells on the trees to make them do his will. Then he cut them down and made tools from them. Spades that would dig deep and fast with none to set foot on them. Spears that would sink easily into flesh and knives that would cut quickly. These he took to the swamp and set them working. The spades dug a broad ditch from the swamp to the sea. Maui stretched a net across the ditch and sat down to wait. Eventually, the rain began to fall. The little streams poured their water into the swamp making the water rise until it reached the ditch. It burst the narrow barrier of earth that the spades had left and roared down the trench. It carried great lumps of earth with it, tree trunks and plants, and in the middle of the torrent, the struggling Tunaroa. 
He was tossed about, helpless in the turmoil of waters, until he felt himself caught in the meshes of the net. Then Maui raised his knife and slashed at Tuna's neck. The head fell off and was carried out to sea. Maui cut off his tail and in his rage chopped him into little pieces. This was not the end of Tunaroa. His head changed into a fish, his tail became the conga eel, and the little pieces changed into freshwater eels. So Tunaroa became the father of eels. If you want to send me feedback, ask a question, suggest a topic, or just have a chinwag, you can reach me through email at historyaotearoa at gmail.com, or Twitter at historyaotearoa, or Facebook at History Aotearoa New Zealand Podcast. Aotearoa spelt A-O-T-E-A-R-O-A. This podcast is a one-man band. If you enjoy listening to me talk history, you can support us through Patreon, buy merch from historyaotearoa.com, or rate us on iTunes, or your preferred podcast platform. It means a lot and helps us grow, spreading the story of Aotearoa New Zealand. As always, hari tu atu, hoki tu mai, see you next time. <laughs>